I pray, Lord, that, that you would just penetrate our hearts, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would minister to us, Lord, that you would bless us. Father, help us to draw closer to you, Lord, as we study the book of Numbers, as we just study your beautiful word, Lord, and everything that's contained in it. I pray that you would just help us to find application, but also to just rightly divide it, Lord. Um, and I pray, Father, God, that you would just, Lord, uh, have a work in all of our hearts as you are, Lord. I pray for the marriages here, Lord, for the families, Lord, for the kids, Lord, for the broken homes. I pray, Father, God, that you would just move mildly in our lives, Lord, as we just take the time to seek you tonight, but also really uh, set the course for the rest of this year, Lord, and we want to serve you with our, all of our hearts. And so, Father, I just ask you this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. The book of Numbers, chapter 15. Do you remember last week? If you don't, man, we left off at a very dramatic point. Like, this is like the climax right now of, of, the, of if we're watching in the movie, this is where it gets exciting because it was the time when they were about to enter the promised land. They're at the very border of the promised land. I remember uh, the story goes that, that they got hesitant. They got scared, really, right? They began to, to, to doubt God's promises and, they, and the people urged Moses to send in 12 spies. If you remember the story, 12 spies went in and they came back. They were supposed to bring a good report. But only, only two of them did, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of the 10 guys were like, no way, man. Uh, the, there's giants in the land. They're going to devour us. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they caused the people's hearts to melt and to not want to, 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 to inherit the promises of God. And so we're told that as a result, that uh, God cursed that whole generation and said, all right, because of your unbelief and because you said, man, God brought us over here so that our kids and our wives could be victims to the, to, to the people of the land. And God says, because you said that, then you know, your kids aren't going to be victims. But instead, they're the ones gonna, who are going to inherit God's promises. And so God made a decree that that whole generation had to pass away before they were going to enter into the land. So they're going to now begin the period of about 38 years that they're going to be wandering into the wilderness until that whole generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, dies off. And then they're going to enter into the land. And if you remember last week, again, after Moses spoke these words that really were from the Lord... We see that um, the people afterwards are like, oh, we're just kidding. We're, 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 we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll go inside the land, right? And they changed their mind after they heard the, 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 the judgment against them. But Moses told them, no, don't go because God's not with you anymore, right? You guys, you had your chance. You blew it, right? You, 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 you didn't believe God. Instead, you, you, you questioned God. You, you questioned God's goodness. So he said, don't go because God's not with you. And so we're told that some guys went up there. They tried to inherit the land apart from God, apart from uh, God backing them up, apart from the word of God backing them up, and apart from Moses is uh, Moses backing them up. And we're told that they went in there and they pretty much got chased out. And um, so we're told, all right, they couldn't go into the promised land. And so with that as a, as a, as a forefront, as we get into, into chapter 15, it says, And then the Lord spoke to Moses. So after that, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land, you are to inhabit which I am giving to you. And you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering. Or on your appointed feast to make a sweet or a more to the Lord from the herd of the flock. He says, Then he who presents his offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering uh, of one tenth of an ephah, so that's ten percent, of fine flour mixed with uh, so one-fourth of a hind of oil, that's like a quart, and one-fourth of a hind of wine as a drink offering, and you shall prepare it with a burnt offering or with a sacrifice for each lamb. So let's stop right there. So again, with all that as a background, right, I love how chapter 15 starts because then God speaks to Moses again, and he tells him, notice, he says, speak to the children of Israel. He says, saying to them, when you have come to the land that you're going to inhabit. And what's God doing, man? He's reminding them of their promises. Right? Even though God's right, this generation is going to have to die off. But, but he's going to say, it's going to take a while. But God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Right? And oftentimes, that's how it is, man. That God makes us a promise. Like he shows you something in your heart. You know? Man, God's going to restore my marriage. Man, God's going to restore my family. Man, God's going to restore my kids. Man, God's going to restore me. And you kind of see it as something like way off in the distance. Right? And then as time goes by, man, we're ten. We're, we're, we're creatures, man. We're, we're, we're flawed creatures. And we tend to lose heart when time goes by because we think, man, it's never going to happen. It's been a month, it's been a year, it's been 10 years, whatever the, the situation may be, right? And we lose heart where we're like, man, did God even tell me that? Is, was God lying to me? Did he ever make me that promise? And we begin to doubt, right? As time goes by, we think, man, I don't think this is ever going to happen in my lifetime, right? And so as the, as the children of Israel, we're going to be walking for 38 years now. You can imagine how much of an encouragement this would have been that God's word said, look, when you go in to inherit the land. Notice he didn't say if, 
He says, all right, well, if you ever get to the land. No, he made him a definite promise. You know, he says, when you go in to inherit the land, which I am giving to you. God says, look, even though the promise is going to delay, he says, I didn't take it away from you because of your unbelief, because of your rebellion, because of all this. Even though they messed up greatly and mightily, and man, they, they blew it hardcore. Right? God didn't say, all right, that's it. You know, I'm taking my promise back. No, he said, look, it's going to delay because there's a certain work that I have to do in your heart. But he says, nonetheless, when you go in to inherit the land, which I am giving you. So you can just imagine, again, what an encouragement it would have been. And for us too, man, as we're walking with the Lord, and we have a sense, all right, God's going to do something. I feel it. I sense it. God spoke it to me, right? He showed me in his word. It just, it delays, right? And we're like, man, Lord, when is this going to happen? Right? And God is so, uh, so faithful to remind us, right, when I bring this to pass. Right? And so his word is, is, is pure, his word is truth, his word is, is secure, his word is that solid foundation that we stand on, God's promises. And so we see that he begins to give them instructions. Right? Now as we go through chapter 15, it, it kind of sounds similar to you know, everything that we covered in, in the book of Leviticus and some stuff that we covered in, in Exodus. So I'm not going to read through all of it, only because a lot of it is, is a lot, covering a lot of the same uh, 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 um, kind of uh, details as far as sacrifices. But you could imagine, because a whole generation was going to die off, God had to remind them again, right? Because that first generation, man, unless they fail to, to, to instruct their kids in the, in the right way, unless they fail to instruct their kids in what God told them to do, God has to re reiterate, all right, look, when you go into the land, this is the way you're to come and bring out and sacrifices. This is the way you come to and, and bring offerings into the tabernacle. So now God is speaking to a whole other generation here, right? The first generation is still there, but the, but the second one, right, they know, right? It's going to be up to us. So now they're hearing, and they have to hold uh, hold these words tight, and so they're receiving the same the same instruction that their that their fathers did as far as the the offerings that were to be brought there at the tabernacle. And so as we go through every single one of those things, you could jump down there to uh, verse fifteen. It says, "One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations, as it says as you are. So shall a stranger be before." The Lord. It says, one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Keep in mind that the book of Exodus tells us that, that when the nation of Israel came out of captivity, came out of slavery, which they were in for 400 years, the Israelites weren't the only ones who were slaves. There were other people, groups of other nations who were slaves in Egypt. Right? We're told that, even, uh, that Caleb was of a people group called the Kenizzites. Right? He's actually a descendant of Esau. And so there were other people groups there in Egypt who were slaves also. Now, when they saw the mighty hand of God work on behalf of the Israelites, they joined themselves with the nation of Israel and were kind of adopted into the fold. They were adopted into the nation, right? And so I love this because as God is giving him, giving the nation of Israel uh, uh, instructions as to how to worship him, that's what it is. Notice he says, all right, for the stranger that's dwelling with you, it's going to be the same. He doesn't get a separate set of instructions that you get a separate set of instructions because you're Israelites and he's from this nation or they're from that nation. No, he says one law and one ordinance for all the people, right? And I love that because in the New Testament, we take it, we, we transfer it over to now our promises as far as forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, righteousness, justification. I love that the Lord doesn't say, all right, for the Jews, uh, just, uh, all right, salvation comes by this, by keeping the law or acting good or whatever, sacrifices. And for the Gentiles, everyone else, uh, you know, this is the way you got you to gotta work a little extra harder. And for you guys that, you know, you're, you were born sinners and all this, you got to do this. No, he says, it's, it's one law and one ordinance for all of us, man, when it comes to salvation, that's through the blood to the blood atoning of Jesus Christ, right? Through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Hey, the Bible says that God, uh, that for God, there is no, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. I mean, man, we're all alike, right? We don't get separate ways of salvation because of who we are or what our background is. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons, right? So all of us are saved the same way. No matter how rich you are, you can have, man, $3 billion in the bank or $3 in the bank or, man, a few cents in your piggy bank. Salvation is the same for all of us. Doesn't matter our status as far as society. Doesn't matter our wealth. Doesn't matter our, you know, our popularity. Doesn't matter what we've done here on earth or haven't done. Man, salvation is the same for all of us. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ and belief you know, in, his, in his death, burial, and resurrection alone. That's it. Belief in the gospel alone. Right? And I love that because, man, again, how God told the people, look, there's one law, one ordinance for all the people. Doesn't matter who it is. Right? You want to approach God, there's only one way. And... I say that because in society today, man, that's even controversial to say, oh, well, if you want to go to heaven, there's only one way, right? People look at religion or God as like a big old tire, right? And all these different paths, like a spokes, and they all lead to God. And really, Jesus said this, he says, I am the way, 
I am the truth and I am the life. He says, nobody gets to the Father except through me. Right, man, that's, that's controversial. That's controversial, right? But we see that, man, there's one law, one ordinance for all of us. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what saves us. That's what makes us righteous. That's what, what, what justifies us in the eyes of God. And so God instructs the people. He says, all right, one law, one ordinance, one custom for all the people, for you guys and for the stranger who dwells with you. And again, verse 17 says, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you. Again, man, God is reiterating. Look, when, not if, not if you ever get there, not if you blow it again and, you know, who knows? No, he says, when you enter the land uh, to which I'm, I'm giving you. Again, man, God reiterating his promises. Look, guys, you're going to go in. Okay, I promised it. I'm not going to take it away from you. You're going to go in. So he says, when you come into the land that I promised you, he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, again, uh, when you eat of the bread of the land, that you, shall, that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first uh, of your ground meal as a heave offering and a heave offering of the threshing floor so you shall offer it up of the first of the of the first of your ground meal you shall give it to the lord a heave offering throughout your generations and then we have we get this little section here from verse 22 all the way to verse 29 where god is going to give them instructions for all the people concerning uh unintentional sin and so it says this is if you sin unintentionally verse 22 and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses. All that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave the commandment and onwards throughout your generations, then it will be if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinance, and one kid of the goat as a sin offering. And so the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. And it shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them, because all the people did it, notice, unintentionally. I love that, 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 that he gave him this because, man, oftentimes we sin unintentionally. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. The very root word of sin gives us the, the picture of, uh, of archery, right? And, and, and you taking your bow and arrow and you have the target and you're aiming for the target, but you come short of it, right? That's, that, that's, that's what the root word of sin means, right? You just miss the mark. You're missing the mark. You're trying to do the right thing, but you just keep on falling short. You keep on missing the mark. That's what sin is, right? You unintentionally sin. It's not that... I mean, yeah, sometimes we, we do go again to our own sin, but there are times it just happens unintentionally. We're like, man, you know what? I woke up this morning and I didn't, it's 9 p.m. right now, but I woke up in the morning and my intention when I woke up was to glorify God all day. And somewhere along the way, I blew it, right? I blew it and I messed up. And, and I love that here, even in the Old Testament, I love that this is in the Old Testament because people were, will be prone to say, well, the God of the Old Testament is the God of judgment, right? And uh, it's like, man, that's his law, that's his law, right? And you mess up, I say you're dead and you get smoked. And we see that, no, look, God is a merciful God throughout the whole Bible. There is no God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. There's only the God of the Bible, right? So we see that, it's, man, God is merciful, right? He's extending grace and mercy for an unintentional sin. So if a person were, were to commit a sin unintentionally, not knowing, oh, man, I didn't know that was a sin, right? Man, I'm new to this, right? I've, just, I've been walking with the Lord, right, since we came out of Egypt. I don't know this was sin. And so we're told, all right, no worries. He said, just bring this offering and everyone will be forgiven. Perfect. And so it goes on to say there in verse 27, it says, And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in, it, in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him and it shall be, notice, forgiven him. Man, beautiful words. It shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native born among the children of Israel, but also for the stranger who dwells among you. All right. And you may be asking, well, what about now? Now that we're New Testament and we're not going to have to bring sacrifices, what happens if I sin unintentionally, right? Because if you're like me, man, you're prone to sin. There's that the hymn that says, uh, Lord, uh, my heart is prone to wander, right? Prone to leave the God I love. And it happens all the time, man, that, man, we just, we don't mean to. I mean, our intention isn't, isn't to, to, to go out and to, you know, rebel against God, but our hearts are just wicked. 
Right? I wake up every morning and my prayer is, Lord, help me please you today. Literally, that's my prayer every single morning. God, help me to live for you today. And not, by the end of the night, sometimes as I lay my head, my, my bed, uh, my, my head on my, on my pillow, I realize that, man, Lord, I didn't live for you today at all. I live for me all day. Right? And, and, and we see that, that man, I love that God is so gracious. Right? Because in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that it's through his grace. Therefore, we have grace to find help in time of need. And we're encouraging the book of Hebrews to come to God's throne with boldness. Like, man, if you're going to mommy and daddy's house, man, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm home, right? You, have, you don't have to tiptoe around. You don't have to kind of be all careful. You're like, if you're walking on ice thinking God's mad at me. No, God is a God of grace, of love, of mercy, right? He even do all those things, right? And he loved us anyway. He died for us anyway. Man, so I love that. That, that again, it gets that grace of God. And so we have this law. Concerning this uh, unintentional sin, and notice we're going to have actually somebody who's going to sin unintentionally or intentionally. And so it goes on to say there, verse 30, it says, But the person who does anything presumptuously, meaning premeditative, that's premeditative sin, says whether he is native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. So that person shall be completely cut off, and his guilt shall be upon him. Right, so we have a, a law concerning someone who sins unintentionally. Man, God, I didn't mean to. But also the person who sins uh, presumptuously or uh, um, uh, premeditatively. God says, look, for that person, man, that's it, man. There is no second chances because he knew what he was doing. Right? He says, and he did it you know, despite the goodness of God. He says, you know what, God, I know this is wrong, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway just to spite you. And so God says, look, that person is going to bear his own sin. And so he goes on to say, now we have a story, says, verse 32 says, Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks, notice, on the Sabbath day. And those who found, who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. And so we have this, this instruction concerning unintentional sin and then concerning intentional sin. And then we have a story of a guy intentionally sinning. Right? And so we see how they're going to deal with them. We see that it was a Sabbath day and, and some of the, 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 the men there, the children of Israel, were walking around the wilderness on the Sabbath day and they see this guy picking up sticks. Now, the, 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 the emphasis here right, is really uh, saying that this guy, he knew it was a Sabbath and he knew what he was doing was unlawful. So he was doing it in spite the law of God, in spite the command to rest, in spite the, the command that they weren't to do any work. He was doing it in spite of all that. So it's like he was saying, you know what, God, I, I, I know the law. I know I'm not supposed to be out here, but I don't care, right? That's what the, the, what, what the, what the, what the word is saying. And so it says that they, they brought him to Moses and Aaron, and they put him under guard because they didn't know what to do with him, right? It hadn't been explained what should be done to him. So then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And so as the Lord commanded Moses, all the con congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. Man, that's heavy. That's heavy. Man, I'm, I mean, I'm so glad, you know, that, man, that, that, that we don't live by the Old Testament law, right? And by, by all these, uh, by, by, by the law. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not going to try to excuse this away. Right? What the guy did was, man, it was an intentional sin. And he was purposely rebelling against God, against his law, and against Moses and Aaron. He says, right, I know I'm, I'm not supposed to do this, but he was doing it, he was doing it in spite of God. Right? And so really, really he had to be made an example of because that was setting the course for holiness throughout the camp for those 38 years on. Right? If they would have allowed that to happen, man, it would, other things would have happened after that throughout those 38 years. And more severe things are going to happen. But we see that, man, there's times where, you know what, you got to cut sin off right there. You got to address it like at the root. And even in the church, I mean, not that anyone's, anyone's going to be stoned to death or anything. But take your right, man, we're in the church and we know that this is a hospital, right? All of us are here sinners, including me. All of us are still trying to just, man, we're learning along the way, right? We're learning together. And all of us sometimes, you know, we, we, we sin unintentionally. We kind of carry a little bit of carnality with us. You know, we're rubbing elbows with each other. And, you know, you catch a brother or sister, you know, and, and sin. And it's like, all right, some things you got to address. You then you think, uh, something we see like, all right, you know, they'll get it eventually, right? They're trying. God's showing them. You know, they're walking with the Lord. They're hearing from God. But the other things you're like, you know what, dude? You got to cut it out. Right? And other things you have to address. And so in this case, they had to address it because it was so early on. That was going to set the course for the standard of holiness within the camp and how God was going to be reverenced in the camp for the rest of those 38 years. And it goes on to say, 
And then verse 37. Again, the, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel so that, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the, har- the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, I am the Lord your God. And so we see that the Lord instructs him for all the nation. We're told that they were to, to sew these uh, little blue tassels on their, on their garments, on their robes. Right? And it was supposed to be like a remembrance for all of them. It's not that there was anything specific about this or special about these little tassels. But as they would slide upon each other, right, they're walking by, you see your brother passing by, and you see the tassel, and you would be inclined to remember, right, the Lord our God, right? It was a remembrance, right? It was meant to point them to the Lord. There wasn't anything specific or superstitious about the tassel itself, but it was meant as a, as a remembrance, right? Man, look, the Lord, my, the Lord our God says that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. Right? So it was like, man, some, some of us wear tattoos or, or like uh, uh, Jesus shirts, and, you know, and we do it not to, like, oh, hey, man, you just so everyone knows I'm a Christian. No, but, you know, man, I, I get encouraged when I see somebody with, like, a Jesus shirt or, 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 or a tattoo or, you know, something, something that reminds me of the Lord because I'm reminded, all right, man, I'm amongst brothers. Right? All right. Earlier I was on the phone with a social worker for my Medi-Cal, and uh, we're talking, we're talking, you know, and she's from out here. I think she was, she was a, a dispatcher, but she was in Inglewood. She's like, uh, she was Tommy, you know, and... Uh, and we're talking, and man, right off the bat, right? I'm just, I'm just, man, it was just a good conversation. I was waiting for like an hour and a half on the phone, but you know, as I was talking to her, I was, we were just small talking, and it was a pleasant conversation. And she goes on to this, she's like, you know what? She's like, you're, you're, she's like, you're really pleasant to talk to. She's like, I don't know what it is. And I told her, maybe it's because I'm a Christian. And then she's like, praise the Lord, my brother. She's like, that's so awesome. She's like, I knew it. You know, we begin to talk about the Lord. And uh, it's cool because while we're waiting for another 30 minutes, we're just talking about the Lord. I'm asking her what church she goes to. I'm kind of encouraging her. She's asking me what happened. And we're, I, I, she even said, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm like, thank you so much. Right? But it's just such an encouragement when, when, you're, when you're reminded, look, there's believers around you, right? Things like that, little conversations, things on a t-shirt, things on a hat or on a bumper sticker. I get pumped, man. Yeah. When I'm on the freeway, I see someone with a Jesus fish or a bumper sticker. Dude, I honk. I'm like, yeah, that's right, you know, Jesus. And so it was meant to be like a little remembrance. You know, like, look, this little tassel. You'd be walking by in a group of millions of people there in the desert for 38 years. You would tend to get discouraged. And all of a sudden, you'd see the tassel. That's right. You know what? Holy unto the Lord. That's right, man. God is with us. Right? These little reminders. And so going into chapter 16 now. It says, now Korah, so in the midst of all this, it says, now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. It says, they took men. So we're introduced to these, to these guys, Korah, and also Dathan and, and Abiram, right? <clears throat> we're told that Korah and all these guys were actually sons of Levi, meaning that they were of the tribe of Levi. Remember that within the tribe of Levi, there were three, there were three uh, prominent fathers. So there were three prominent like, sub-tribes within the whole tribe of Levi. Right? One of them were all the sons of Aaron, who were the priests. But the other guys were, were, just, uh, were Levites, who were also dedicated to the work of the temple, of the tabernacle, I should say. Right? So we have this guy, Korath, who, uh, along with Dathan and Abiram, he says, They took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation. It says, representatives of the, con- of the congregation, men of renown, meaning respectable guys, guys who were, who were obviously in position of leadership. They weren't elders within the tribes, but they were prominent figures. They were respected among the community. And so we're told that these guys took 250 leaders, prominent men, respected men there in the, uh, uh, in the community. And we're told that this, we're told this, we're told that they took them it says, uh, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. He says, why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And so what's going on here is a real live insurrection. Right? This, is, this is the definition of insurrection. These, you have these little group of guys, you know, who they were able to, to, to man, through their smooth talking or whatever it was, they were able to convince 250 leaders of the nation of Israel to conspire against Moses and Aaron. 
right? We don't know anything about these guys. And obviously, these 250 guys were leaders. We see that they were prominent figures, right? They were respected in the community. And so they were actually, you know, uh, they had a following. And so what these guys did is, you know, they, 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 they convinced these guys to come up against Moses and Aaron. We don't know what the conversation was before that point. We're just told, we're just told that they took these guys and they were able to convince them, hey, you know what? What they're doing isn't right, right? We could hear from God, right? We don't need Moses. We don't need Aaron. We don't need them to hear from God, right? And so, they, and so they, they're gathering this, this crowd against uh, this mob, really, against Moses and Aaron, right? And we're told that they bring them to him. And, they, and the accusation is this. They're saying, Moses, you're doing too much. You're doing too much, Moses. You take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy. Notice, that's a lie, right? Then we have a... Man, didn't they just miss out on the promised land because of their unbelief? It's not that the whole congregation is holy, but these guys, again, what they're looking for is they're seeking a position, right? They're here for themselves. They got these 250 guys, you know, trying to get some momentum going so they could overthrow uh, the, the rule of, of uh, the authority of Moses and Aaron there within the camp. And what they're doing is they're trying to establish themselves amongst the people. They're saying, Moses, we don't need you. He says, the people don't need you, right? We're all holy. We could all hear from God. He says, you guys are doing too much. He says, why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And we see that they weren't doing that, right? It was God who had exalted them. Remember, Moses didn't even want this. Maybe 40 years ago, maybe uh, 80 years ago, when Moses was uh, just a young prince in Egypt, right? we're told that he killed the Egyptian to protect his Hebrew brother. And he thought, all right, God's going to use me to, to deliver the nation of Israel. right? At one point, he didn't want it. But we're told that as a result, he had to flee into the wilderness. And those 40 years in the wilderness, just being a shepherd, man, God broke him. To the point where that when God met him, Moses was like, I don't want that, God. Maybe at one point I did want to be used by you, but you know what? I'm fine being a shepherd. I'm fine being out here in the wilderness. I don't want to be used. I don't want to be anybody. And God told me, I'm going to use you to go speak to Pharaoh. What did Moses say? So find someone else. I can't do it. Right? He didn't want it. Not that Moses exalted himself. No, God exalted him. There's a psalm in the Bible that says, promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, but promotion comes from the Lord. Right? And it was God who exalted Moses and Aaron there amongst the nation of Israel. But you guys' accusation is, look, you guys are, you put yourselves as rulers over us and we don't need you. Right? We can hear from God for ourselves. And so they said, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Right. So, man, notice Moses' response. I love it because it wasn't one of defending himself. Moses, if you could have, man, Moses had followers, too. Right. Joshua was right there with him. Joshua was a ride or die guy. Right. When I, when I remember a couple of chapters ago, when there was a guy out that was that was prophesying in the camp, what did Joshua do? Hey, Moses, this guy's prophesying in the camp. Should I stop him? Right. He was like uh, like the sons of thunder, man. Uh, James and John. He was man. He was ready to go. Man, Moses had many followers. If you could have, you could have said, all right, uh, Joshua, Caleb, hey, take care of these guys. Right? But he didn't. He didn't defend himself. Instead, we're told he, he fell on his face, you know, seeking God, praying. He says, all right. He says, the Lord's going to show us who's in charge. He says, the Lord's going to show us who is his. The Lord's going to show us who is holy. The Lord's going to show, show us whom he chooses. Right? He didn't leave it up to himself. He could have. He wanted defend, to defend himself. He could have. Right? But man, like I... I've mentioned many times, man, if you defend yourself, then God can't defend you, right? And what better defense than the Lord? What better defense than the Lord? But if you defend yourself, then man, you're your own attorney, right? God can't defend you. So that's what Moses is doing is that he's leaving room for God to defend him. So he says, all right, he says, tomorrow, he says, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show. Not I will show, not Aaron will show, not the people will show, but he says, God is going to tell us. And all right, you're saying that, that I'm, I'm exalting myself. You're saying that you don't need us because you're holy. He says, all right. He says, let's leave it up to God. It's not what you say. It's not what I say. Let's see what God says. So he says, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. And he will cause that person to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause, cause him to come near to him. I love that Moses didn't hold on to anything too tightly. He was leaving it to the Lord. All right. These guys are coming up against me. You know, this could be my time. He didn't know. He didn't know, right? But one thing is that he wasn't holding on to something too tightly, to a position, to a, to a title, to a ministry, right? Too tightly. He knew, all right, God gives, God takes away, right? Blessed is the name of the Lord who gives and who takes. And I love that because we carry this into ministry. Right? And any ministry that God has given us, man, no, it's, it's not ours. It's the Lord's. This church, amen, it's not ours. It's not mine. It's the Lord's, right? And I don't hold on to things too tightly. 
less God required of me and I can't loosen my grip. Right? And we should always believe that when it comes to everything, man, our families, our kids, our marriages, our jobs, our possessions, God, they're yours. This isn't mine, Lord. I'm just holding it for you. Whenever you want to take it, Lord, here it is. And so notice that Moses didn't fight for the position, right? He didn't hold on to things too tightly. He recognized, this is God's. So he says, all right, let, let God choose, right? Let God tell us who's the guy. And so he said this in verse 6, he says, let's do this. He says, take censers, Korah, and all your company, put fire in them, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. Says, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is a holy one. He says, you take too much upon yourselves, you sons of, of Levi. So Moses says, look, let's do this. Let's take censers. A censer was a, was a pot. You remember from the book of Leviticus, it was a pot in which they would set the, the incense in. When they would go and they would, they, would, uh, they would offer an incense offering unto the Lord. It was a big old pot. Right? And so Moses said, all right, let's take some censers and let's take some incense and let's go before the Lord. And God's going to choose you know, who is the Holy One. He's going to choose who's this guy. And Moses tells me, you're taking too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. I'm not taking too much upon myself, but you're, you're doing too much. Right? And notice that that's even Moses warning him. Before, why, Moses is trusting in the Lord. And he knows, man, God's going to devour you. God's going to destroy these guys, right? Because they're causing a rebellion. Yeah. And Moses even saying, look, you guys, I wouldn't do that. But if you want to see it, then, then all right, let's go before the Lord. But I wouldn't do that if I were you. He said, you're doing too much right now. That's so we see that Moses is such a man of, of, again, of integrity, even, even showing mercy. Right? He didn't want to see his guys devoured. He didn't want to see his guys destroyed. Right? They're his brothers. This is the very people that whom God sent him to deliver from Egypt. Man, he's seen these guys walk through the Red Sea. He's seen them walk in the wilderness. He saw them eat manna. He saw them you know, be fed by God. He's being their shepherd there in the wilderness. He doesn't want to see them die. So he says, look, he says, you make too much. He says, you take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. And notice verse 8 says, And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that God, the God of Israel, has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them? Says, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? Says, are you seeking, says, and are you seeking the priesthood also? So he's saying, look guys, he says, is this not enough for you? He says, look, you don't realize God is taking you from among all the nations, from among all the peoples, from among all the tribes, and he's made you his own. The whole tribe of Levi, I remember that the tribe of Levi was a tribe that was separated unto God. Any man who was of the, of the tribe of Levi, you had job security because he knew, all right, man, I'm going to be, a, I'm gonna be uh, uh, serving in the tabernacle. I'm going to serve God for the rest of my life. God says that the tribe of Levi was his. It was his first fruit. It was his first fruit. Meaning that, man, they all belong to him. And Moses is saying, look, is that not enough for you to just to know that God is your possession? To know that you belong to the Lord? Is that not enough? It's not enough that God will take you from all the people and give you a position, a position right in front of you and, and allow you to serve his people? He says, is that too small of a thing? He says, now you want the priesthood also? Because remember, it was only the sons of Aaron who could be priests. You could be a Levite, but yet not be a priest because the priesthood was only for the, for the sons of Aaron. But they're saying, look, man, is it not, not enough for you to serve in the tabernacle? You need to be a priest also. And so really what they were doing is that they were despising the call of God on their life. And they were seeking something that they thought in their eyes was bigger. Right? And, and, and that was their sin. That was their sin is that they wanted the position. They wanted the title. They didn't care about the people. They didn't care about the sacrifices. They didn't care about, about offerings to the Lord. What they wanted was a position. What they wanted was to be regarded as something, right? To be esteemed amongst all the people. Yeah, man, they're the, they're the priests. They're the priests. They're the guys that we go to. Right? The same thing happens in ministry, unfortunately. For some reason, for some weird reason that I'm never going to understand. But people covet this pulpit, man. This position. I don't know why. I never wanted it. It's not like, oh, God, make me a guy. I'll go out there. I'll go teach. I'll go plant a church. I'll go do this. Man, it's usually the guys that, that, that don't want it who, who God ends up calling. Right? And, and, and I would say, man, be careful when someone's like, man, I'll do it, I'll do it, I want to go out there, oh, man, I, I, like, I need to teach, I need to, and you're looking for every single opportunity to teach, and you're looking for every single opportunity to, to be in the forefront, to be in the spotlight, to be noticed, to be, you know, to have your name on the flyers, or to have your name up, thrown out there, have your face put out there. It's like, man, usually those guys who are in it for the wrong motives, right? Typically, not all the time, but typically, it, that's how it is, right? That people go in it with, with ill intention, and they look at the pulpit as like a platform, their own platform, right? They don't care. They could care less about the hearts of the people. They could care less about the condition of the sheep. They could care less about feeding the sheep, about tending the flock, right? about, about feeding the flock. 
David cared less about shepherding, about ten, spending time with the sheep, right? With the, I mean, with the people. But they just want a position. They want to be called a certain title. They want to be the one who's up here, right? Having the authority, making the decisions. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, right? And yet we don't realize that to God, this means nothing, right? When we all get to heaven, God's not going to say, hey man, well done, my good and faithful pastor. He's going to tell all of us the same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant, right? There's only one position that's honored in heaven and that's servant for all of us. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're, you know, a, a, a whatever it may be, that, that, that whoever you are in the body of Christ, whether you're the maintenance guy, whether you're, you know, the guy who planted all the churches in Mexico or whatever, hey, we're all going to be told the same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Man, God isn't a respecter of persons. Man, God doesn't care about that stuff that, like we do, right? We put heavy trips on that stuff. We put, you know, the, the glory on these positions and titles and all these things, right? And oftentimes there is guys who come in, right, and, they, and they, it's like it's not enough for them. It's not enough for, for you to serve God, man, to be able to serve His people, to know that, that, that there's a place for you in heaven. Man, you want this too? Right, and so that's what he's saying. He said, look, it's not enough, right? He says, you guys want the, the priesthood also? And so he goes on to say, he says, uh, verse 11, he says, therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. Notice, they weren't gathering against Moses, but Moses says, you look, you're not gathered against me, you're gathered against the Lord. You're rebelling against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? He's like, man, we're just his messengers, dude. We're just his voices, we're nothing. You know, who are we? He says, and Moses sent, verse 12, to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Notice that. Moses is trying to make peace. He says, all right, man, bring these guys up here. And then they're like, who are you, Moses? We don't got an answer to you. We're not going to go up there. Moses is calling for these guys. He wants to talk to them, man. He wants to, you know, be the mediator. He wants to squash this. He, so he calls, uh, he calls Dathan and Abiram. And they says, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? Speaking about Egypt. To kill us in the wilderness? That you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of the men? We will not come up. So notice, as Moses is trying to make peace with this little rebellion that's coming up against him, really coming up against the Lord, we're told that these guys specifically, specifically uh, Dathan and, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, as Moses said, hey guys, come on, man, let's talk about this. He said, no way, man, we're not going to go up there. He says, you know what, Moses? He says, why did you bring us out of, why did you bring us out of Egypt anyway? He says, did you bring us out here to die? They called Egypt the, the land flowing with milk and honey. Man, so soon they forgot that they were slaves. So soon they forgot about all their hardships when they were crying out for deliverance into the Lord. And they said, look, man, you brought us out here into the wilderness. And look, and you haven't brought us into. He says, you brought us out of. We're here in the wilderness, and you said you were going to bring us into the land up for the milk and honey, but you haven't even brought us into. You brought us out of, but you haven't brought us into. So what they're saying is, look, Moses, it's all your fault. That's what they're saying. Say, Moses, it's all your fault. He says, moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. He says, will you put out the eyes of these men? Meaning, man, you're here to harm us? We will not come up. Notice, was it Moses' fault that they didn't get to inherit the land? Was it God's fault even? Right? It was their fault. It was the people's fault. They hardened their hearts. They, because of their unbelief, right? They wouldn't enter in. They didn't believe their promises of God. And now they're saying, Moses, dude, it's your fault. You won't even bring us into the land. He says, we, he says, we don't need to talk to you. Who are you to us? So, you know, we're not going to go up to you. We will not come up. And then verse 15 says, Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, he says, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from him, nor have I hurt one of them. Moses is pleading his case. He says, Lord, he says, man, I haven't touched these guys. Right? They're coming up against me. He says, I haven't done anything to these guys. I haven't heard them. I haven't touched them. He says, I've never stolen from them. And Moses said to Korah, he says, tomorrow, you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they, as well as Aaron. He says, let each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, because 250 men. He says, 250 centers, both you and Aaron, it says, each with censers. And verse 18 says, So every man took its censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Notice 19. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. 
and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. <laughs> so man, God showed up, right? He told Moses, right? Have them all gather up, right? Have everyone bring their censers. As soon as they all show up at the door of the tabernacle, God tells Moses and Aaron, hey, man, step, step aside a little, man. You're going to get burned. He says, I'm going I'm to devour these guys. He says, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? Man, notice Moses. Moses saying, Lord, even then, Moses still pleading on their behalf. He says, God, don't do him like that. Right? And he says, uh, So the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 23, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them on my own will. He says, If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the, by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. He says, But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. And so Moses says, look, something's about to happen here, guys. As he's talking to the whole congregation. He says, God's going to judge between me and them. And he says, if these guys die naturally, like of a heart attack or of old age, or they, you know, I don't know, any other natural way, he says, then it wasn't of God, right? And I was wrong. He says, but if they die in a supernatural way that we haven't seen before and God doesn't they knew, then everyone's going to know that, uh, that it was the Lord. Right? And, it was, and it was the Lord who did this because they rejected the Lord. And verse 31 says, Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them. So there was an earthquake and the, and the ground literally just opened up. It split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. And their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. And so... It says, so they, they and all those with them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And verse 35 says, and a fire came out of the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze. For they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. It says the censures of these men who sinned against their own soul, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for their altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel. And so let's stop right there. So we see again, man, the judgment came upon these people, right? One of the things that that uh, that I noticed, you know, that says that uh, that it was um, these guys, Dathan and Abiram, and their whole families. And so we see that because of their sin, and the whole family was affected. That's what it is. That because of their sin, right, the sin of these fathers, their whole family was affected, right, even their children. It's tragic. It's tragic. And then the 250 guys who came up against Moses, really coming up against the Lord, were told that they were consumed by the earth, right? God did a new thing. The earth opened up. It consumed them, right? It was a sign to everybody. Look, right? It was a sign to everybody. But then notice this. Remember that Moses told them, right? He says, bring the censers, which are those pots with the incense, and bring them into the tabernacle. This is how we're going to see if it's of God or not. Now, the utensils that they used were holy, right? And so when these guys were consumed, uh, we're told that the utensils were left behind, and God tells Moses, right? Tell Eleazar and his kids to go and, uh, and bring the, the utensils back because they are holy, right? Notice the guys were not. The vessels, were the, the men were not, but the utensils were. And so I say that to say this, that uh, man... Even like in a short time that I've been walking with the Lord, you know, sometimes you notice men and women whom God has used mightily. Mightily. We were talking about one the other day uh, by the name of Rabbi Zacharias. Right? The dude fell a horrible fall. I mean, he ended up, he was a big uh, apologetics guy, went out speaking, wrote a lot of books, spoke at a lot of Calvary chapels, did a lot of, you know, quote unquote good things. I mean, man, I, I mean, I read his book, they're amazing. 
right? I heard his sermons. He, he was a powerful, you know, uh, vessel. But, you know, it turned out that, that, that he had fallen, you know, in sin sexually. He was doing a lot of things with the money of the organization. And, and so now one may wonder, well, what about all the things that he did? What about all the things that he said? What about all the people that came to the Lord because of his studies, because of his, because of his teachings, because of, because of his books? Is that not valid? And so we see that similar to these 250 men. They were sinful, but the utensils that they were using were still holy. Right? And though he was a sinful man... And though he got found out, and though, you know, man, whatever happened, happened, the, the fruit of his ministry, man, he was still preaching the word. And it's the word that's holy. The word is like that utensil that he was using. He's like, all right, look, God is going to preserve this. Why? Because this is holy. The vessel is not. I could be here preaching God's word, right? And it's having an effect in your heart. And if I, God forbid, you know, man, something happens to me and I, you know, I, I turn my back on the Lord. Does that, is that going to negate what God did here? No. Because the word was holy. The word that was being taught was holy. I wasn't. Right? And so we see you know, that, that go on uh, in the world today. And so, again, as they died, Moses said, all right, go back and get the utensils. Because they are holy. The centers are holy. And so we're told that Eliezer, verse 39, the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is a descendant of Aaron, should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. Man, so it's tragic. Right, man, what a tragic end. To think, look, man, you could have just continued in your ministry, continued serving the tabernacle, continued serving the people with those holy utensils. Right, but instead, look, you're gone, and they're going to remain. Right, and, and, and man, I pray to God that, wouldn't, that that wouldn't be said of us. And I mean, of course, God gets all the glory. But I pray that if the Lord tarries and, and, you know, and, I, and I get to grow up and be an old man and die of old age, I pray to God that, that the legacy I leave behind was, man, he served God his whole life. Right? The fruit of his ministry, holy. His life, holy. His reputation, holy. Man of integrity. Right? That's what we want. That's what we want. You know, what I would all want is to go and to say, man, well, forget his name, man. Just remember everything that he did. Right? Don't even talk about him. Heavy. And it goes on to say now in verse... 41, and we'll finish the chapter with this. It says, On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel rejoiced. No, it says complained. They complained. You would think they would learn, man, but it says no. It says, On the next day after this happened, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Notice, you have killed the people. Was it them? It wasn't them, right? No, it was their own sin. But now the people are saying, Yo, you have killed the people of the Maybe Lord. Blame me, Moses and Aaron. And now it says, Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of God appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Those words again. And notice, they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. He says, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. And then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put the incense in and made atonement for the people. Man, beautiful picture. Verse 48, and he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. This is a beautiful picture of intercessory prayer. Right? This happened literally and physically. Right? As the people came to complain, the glory of God came to the tabernacle. He said, all right, get away from the people because, all right, here comes, you know, child time. They're, they're, the plague is going to come upon them. You know, they're going to die. We're told that the plague began. People started dying. But what did Moses do? All right, just, let's keep on praying. No, no. He says, he says Aaron, run. Just Run. Man, you see the heart of a shepherd, man. Even though these people were complaining against him, man, that's the true heart of a shepherd. He loved these people. And he didn't want to see them get devoured. Even though they had just done so much wrong against them. Right. He says, Aaron, run. Go get a censer. Go get some incense. He says, make atonement on behalf of the people. So we're told that Aaron ran. He took it as Moses told him, you know. And he said that he ran to the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun, meaning that already people were starting to die. And again, verse 48, he stood between the dead 
and the living, and so the plague will stop. Right? And that's what prayer is. This is a little physical he stood there. But for us, we could transfer that into the realm of prayer. Prayer. You know, prayer is standing in the gap for others and literally standing between the dead and the alive spiritually. Right? And man, I mean, I'm here because I'm a product of a praying mother. And my mom prayed for me for so many years that I would even just come to this Bible study that she was going to. Right? For years, and I was hardening my heart. And I definitely believe with all my heart that it was through her prayers that God reached me. Right? And, and, and I love, I think it was Pastor Lau, somebody said, like, man, prayer is like, man, you could like launch grenades at people from far away through prayer. Right? Man, you may not be able to reach them there physically yourself and go talk to them, but you know what? Prayer is like you're launching a grenade. Right? And the impact it can have from far away. The beautiful thing about prayer is that, man, I could, I could be there in my room, begin to pray, and one moment I could be with the believers in China. The next moment I'll be with the believers in the Amazons. The next moment I'll be with the believers here in City Terrace, praying for them. In a moment's time, I could be with the believers in Iran, in the Middle East, right, in Israel, uh, throughout the whole country. Man, through prayer, right, standing in the gap. It was in the book of Ezekiel that God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and, and judgment is coming upon the nation of Israel, northern Israel. And he says this, God tells Ezekiel this, he says, I sought for a man to stand on the gap on behalf of the people, but he says, but I found none. How tragic. How tragic, you know, man. God has placed us in our little sphere of influence. And maybe you'll never reach the whole world, but you can reach your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, whoever. God is giving you as a sphere of influence, right, man, to stand on the gap for these people. Literally standing in the middle of the, between the dead and the living, right? And who knows if, if through your prayers, man, you might be the only person who's ever praying for this individual, ever, ever. Interesting that in my life, in my time, in my whole lifetime, um, I've never been, watching well, once, I was already as a believer, but I've never been evangelized. Right? I've never had someone come up to me randomly and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? I've had Mormons come up to me. They came the other day to the door and I, she's going to laugh at me because I missed an opportunity to minister to them. I was tired. I drove with witnesses, other people. But I've never had a Christian come up to me and say, hey, have you known about Jesus? Never. Never. And I think about how many other people out there else are out there who have never had someone come up to them and tell them about Jesus or let alone pray for them. Man, we encounter people every day that, that maybe you're the only person that you pray for them. You may be the only person ever that ever prayed for them, ever. Think about how powerful that is. Man, it was through the prayers of Abraham right, that he was able to save a whole family, Lot and his, and his kids. Abraham was the only one praying for Lot at that time, the only one. And because of him, man, he got saved from, from the destruction that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about how powerful our prayers are. So again, verse 48 says, And he stood between the dead and the living, and so the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the, in the Korah incident. That's what they call it, the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle meeting, for the plague had stopped. Man, look at how many casualties. Right? How many casualties. Imagine how many more it would have been if Moses had an act. If you didn't say, hey, Aaron, go out there, man. Intercede on their behalf. And really we see... Oh, we're all dying around us. Non-believers, man, dying every single day without hearing the gospel, without ever man, being reached for the Lord. Right? And in this case, it was 14,700. I mean, I don't know how many people die a day. You look at the clock and see every second someone dies. So boom, someone's dead. Someone's dead. Someone's dead. Someone's dead. And I think, man, how many of those people ever knew the Lord? Did they ever know Him? Right? So this is awesome encouragement, you know, to stand, on behalf, to stand in the gap on behalf of someone else in prayer. Amen? We'll stop right there. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, Lord. Just these awesome.